Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Who Runs the Rec World. I'm your host, Broganese Collier, and this is the show that delves into the lives of females within the recruitment industry in order to understand what it takes and what journeys you have to go on to become successful. And um, today I'm joined by Sam Smith, Vice President and Managing Director of Kelly OCG. Um, but um, Sam, I'll let you introduce yourself to the listeners in a little bit more detail. Uh, thank you, Brogan, and, and thanks for having me on. I'm delighted to have been invited and join uh, the rest of your illustrious guests. Um, <laughs> yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a VP and Managing Director here at Kelly OCG. I run our EMEA business, uh, that's our Europe, Middle Eastern and Africa business. Um, I've been here at Kelly for just over seven years. I'm going to be heading into my eighth year soon. Um, and I'm you know, a bit of an old lady, so I've been in this industry for... <laughs> Uh, a long time now, uh, nearly 20 years, um, and love it. So yeah, I'm, I'm here based in London, and um, yeah, really happy to be here with you today. Oh no, fantastic! Thanks, thanks for thanks for agreeing to be a, a guest. Um, so I guess to, to delve straight into it, I'm really keen to kind of understand a little bit about how you got into the recruitment um, industry because. I appreciate that's not where you started. I know you started off in the, the Royal Air Force, so I would love to hear about that kind of journey and, and the transition, I guess, in, into recruitment. Well, the Royal Air Force was my dream job. Um, it's yeah. what I only ever wanted to do. And in fact, I was, you know, this obstinate child when it came to my education, you know, very, very determined to only do what I needed to do to get into the Air Force in the trade as it was called uh, that I wanted to get into so um, I was very very focused on that as my chosen um, career and it was my primary career it was you know somewhat cut short I was medically discharged from the Air Force and really really lucky to find recruitment um, as a second career really early on um, you know I yeah. was young when I came out of the Air Force. My career wasn't a particularly long one, uh, but I enjoyed every moment of it. Um, and, you know, coming out of the Air Force was a real shock to the system. Yeah. You know, as a young person going almost straight from school into the Air Force, being educated in the Air Force, um, being told what to wear, um, where to yeah. be, what time to turn up, what time to leave. Um, you know, you you fall into this conditioning of comfort of not having to think about all of these other things. And yeah. coming out of the, the service into what we call Civvy Street was a real culture shock. And believe it or not, one of the biggest challenges was what to wear. You know, when you've worn a uniform every day, then yeah. having to choose what to wear is a, a real challenge. And I... I really didn't know what I was going to do. And when you leave the services, you go through a process and they offer you some training and some development and you can choose courses um, that are meant to help you in Civvy Street. And, um, okay. and I remember the resettlement officer, that's what they call resettlement officers who do wonderful work. Um, he said to me, why don't you do a forklift license? Everyone needs a forklift truck license. <laughs> and I was somewhat perplexed by this, I admit, and went off and thought, I'm not doing a forklift truck license. No offence to anyone with a forklift license, but it wasn't what I envisaged myself yeah. doing 
um, in my life. And I, I was a little bit rudderless um, and scouring through job adverts. Found one um, working for Jaguar Land Rover in their supply chain in Reading, Berkshire. Applied for it and uh, found myself phoning this number you know, which is what you did those in those days. This is print advert. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. <laughs> and um, it was a recruitment agency um, called Gravity Personnel. I've never heard of a recruitment agency. I didn't know they existed. Uh, so I, I got on my bike and cycled into town and um, went and saw this chap who owned the recruitment agency. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't quite think I was right for the role. I thought I was and I told him. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I kind of put two and two together and figured that if I got a job, he'd get paid for it. And then yeah. perhaps we never needed to see each other again. And <laughs> a long story short, I convinced him to put me forward for it. I was offered the job, but it was temp to perm, which of okay. course I didn't know anything about. <laughs> so yeah. I had to go back to the agency, at which point, um, the the owner of the agency, a wonderful um, chap called uh, Kieran Sharma, who does brilliant community work um, in the Berkshire area, um, and you know still runs Gravity, I think. Um, you know, he said, "Look, you can do that anytime. Come and work for me." Um, yeah, I did. You know, I started the following Tuesday. Um, I think my salary at the time was eleven and a half thousand pounds, and I learned the brilliant and high volume and crazy world of light industrial warehouse and distribution um provision of temporary workers ferrying yeah. them up and down the a329m to the waitrose distribution center in bracknell um, and it was a brilliant brilliant experience i i don't regret it for a minute and it started me on an amazing journey that sees me where i am today fantastic and how did you find i know you you mentioned you know I guess yeah wearing a uniform for so long and like you said being told you know where to be what time all that kind of structure I guess that was given to you and um, did you have that kind of structure in the recruitment uh in your first recruitment role or was it for you to figure out um I know some companies uh, I've, I've personally worked in companies where they have that rigid uh, rigid structure and it's uh right from 10 till 12 we do this from 8 till 9 it's this and was it like that or were you going into something where you now had to you know make your own structure well it's a very well established business um you yeah. know a family owned family run very well established business with long-term and very well tenured um relationships with local customers yeah so what would happen is you'd walk in in the morning and um, get, get in quite early and before you knew it, um, there were a bank of seats all the way down one wall and it was full up of people right. ready to work, um, looking for jobs. So you didn't have much time when you're dealing with six till two, two till 10, 10 till two shifts yeah. across multiple yeah. customers to, to really think about structure. It was very much yeah. on the fly making things happen but then of course that that as you learn you know you know these orders don't come in yeah <laughs> somebody's doing something yeah. somewhere along the line and then the expectation that you play a role in that business development as i now know it is yeah. you no know, it was quite daunting um i wouldn't say it was a traditional 
agency training methodology. Um, yeah. But it was certainly very effective. Um, and as I say, it got me on this journey today that, um, you know, was a really good immersion into understanding putting people to work and what that means. And if you think about a high proportion of um, individuals that work in distribution, logistics and warehouse, a uh, very high proportion back then anyway were students. Okay. And um, them having that job was the difference between them paying their rent, sending money home, many were foreign students um, and eating. Um, so that yeah. sense of pride and purpose was instilled yeah. in me very early on that as a recruiter or somebody in recruitment, so I didn't really see myself as a, a recruiter in those yeah. days, it was I'm getting stuff done. Yeah. Had a great sense of purpose to it, you know, and it was something that stayed with me ever since. Fantastic. And I think the one other thing I wanted to touch base on, um, we, we've actually got, um, where I work at Forsyth Barnes, we've got an ex um, ex forces uh, member on, on our team, and I know he mentioned that he got into recruitment through a kind of um, recruit like a rep to rep that do place purely ex forces, and that the the traits tend to kind of go very well into recruitment. Um, mm. How did you find it going from? Because I think a, a misconception that I often find with people who are new to the idea of recruitment, and nowadays it is. It's better known, but even when I was, um, even when I graduated at uni, I I didn't really truly understand what recruitment was. I thought it was just a boring office job, and that that's it. How did you find from going? I guess you know, as a mechanical engineer, I guess it was a very active. Um, recruitment's fast paced too, but I guess it was you know active. Then going into this office job, how did you find that transition? Oh, it was an entirely different physical experience. Yeah. Um, and and you know i found it exhausting actually being in the same place all the time and that routine of um kind of groundhog day if you want um for a better yeah. term um it, it was hard really really hard um you know one of the things that i loved in the air force was no two days felt the same um yeah. you could be working on um aircraft you could be changing a gearbox you could be um rotor tuning you could be going on exercise you could be doing rifle training or security you know there are so many variations to your job that getting into a you know a nine to five office job and by the way it was it's certainly not nine to five it was kind of 5 30 a.m for the first drive up to the distribution yeah. center and sometimes you know that 10 p.m or 2 a.m phone call yeah um, and those days it was on your home landline, by the way, yeah. this was pre mobile. <laughs> no, yeah. um, you know, of Eddie up in Waitrose saying, you know, I, I ordered 16 people and I've only got 14, what are you going to do about it? And you think, yeah, 2am, I don't know Eddie, really. <laughs> um, names have been changed to protect the innocent, by the yeah. way. But, um, it was really difficult and I think you can't underestimate the change of a work environment um you know and i think many people through the pandemic have seen a change in struggling to come to Absolutely. terms with the environment, you know working from home whereas yeah. previously having worked in an office and having to find out what those boundaries are yeah. um, has been really difficult and and i found that difficult too yeah. i also found the concept of you know somebody somebody being asked or told to do something 
and them not doing it immediately um, was yeah. really, really yeah. interesting. Um, so and I guess adjustment. Yeah, and I guess especially um, I always say I think the hardest part of recruitment is that you're you're dealing with people that have minds of their own. You know, they can let you down. They can promise you the the world and then just ghost you. Um, so I can imagine going from such a I guess what was a really strict environment like you said where everyone had to do things as, as soon as they were told to to go into that environment where you were I guess dealing with some something that was kind of beyond your control to, to a certain extent was um was definitely a change and I don't know about you but do you find um so I personally when I got into recruitment before I kind of knew what it was I um, I wanted to be a photographer and I was always into art and design and I always said I could never have an office job i I'd die before I sat sat behind a computer. Um, I personally don't. It is an office job recruitment, but I don't feel like it's um, a boring, monotonous nine to five office job. Um, and I think what you were saying there about going, you know, with the pandemic, I think when I was doing the job from home, I all of a sudden felt like it was a monotonous office job where I was sat in front of the the kind of um, computer all the time. I know you said when you started, you found it was. Um, it was different from the kind of everyday being different to, to when you were in the, the the forces. Do you find um, the longer you were in recruitment, the more you felt it changed up? You know, like now, do you still have that same? Do you still find you're doing the same thing all the time, or do you find every day is different? No, every day is absolutely very very different. I think the more you learn about the industry and the more engaged you become with candidates and with hiring managers and with demand you have more of an understanding of what that means and how it can shift your landscape or the environment you're working with and you know for many years i've worked in on-site roles or you know business development and sales and having you know moving around the country either in the car or moving around a, a region or traveling to asia pac or north america and you know that changes the landscape and you know i think you very much get used to the rhythm of your yeah. own life so that disruption of rhythm was quite a, a shock to me but yeah. when you then realize that on a day-to-day -day basis I could be having individual one-on-one -on -one conversations face-to-face -face. you know video calls didn't exist yeah. in any either yeah you know it's a really rich experience hard as well you know the disappointment of somebody not getting one of those slots for a shift yeah. and the impact that means to them uh, the annoyance of the um fruit and veg or the warehouse manager for having 22 people when he wanted 25 or by the way having 26 people when he wanted 25 because you get wily and you over order knowing some people aren't going to turn up but then trying to convince him to take 26 people yeah. you know all of those conversations go through this cycle of being either very difficult, very challenging, very enlightening, hilarious, hard. Um, you know, all of the emotional lines that you could imagine exist within a single day as a recruiter. Yeah. And there's this incredible high of you know being successful in finding somebody their dream job or or indeed finding somebody a job that keeps a roof over their head and their bills being paid or a great development opportunity or a great 
change of scenery for them and you think wow I really helped make that happen and there's a real high attached to it but then you know there is a reality within recruiting whether you are male or female or you know in technical recruitment or logistics or driving you know you get targets um it is a target driven commercial environment and that can become quite stressful yeah. Um, particularly when there are areas, as you say, you're not selling widgets. A yeah. customer's not ordering 400 and they come off a line in a neat box and they go into a van and they turn up the other if end. <laughs> Back to in those areas you can't control. And those uncontrollable areas then impact your performance. Yeah. That can be really difficult. And I think you've got to have some metal to push through that and be successful and find some resilience. Absolutely. Um, and it's not a recruiter I've met, a successful recruiter I've met that doesn't have this very special ability to show resilience. Yes, absolutely. And I guess then talk me through your journey from there. Um, where where did your career take you after that? Obviously, this was your first recruitment opportunity did I just did you know the potential that was in you know being a recruitment consultant and where you could go career-wise or not at the time no and I still didn't three years in um I had no idea I was so focused on what I was doing and in fact you know immersed myself arguably too deep um and lost focus of any kind of balance um which becomes a problem um particularly for your home life when you're a young person starting out in relationships and all that kind of stuff but yeah I I was really lucky um I I got into the railway side of of recruiting um so kind of moved a little bit further away from the the warehousing piece which you you never lost when you're in that office yeah which no, I remember very fondly, it was above a sewing machine shop in West Street in Reading. Um, you don't lose that kind of sense of home, right, with yes. these kind of environments. So I focused on the rail side um, and focused on building that and, you know, working with lots and lots of amazing Welshmen uh, working on our railways. Mm. Channel Tunnel Rail Link um, was you know, one big, big project uh, that we had lots and lots of workers out on and grew that division from two people um, to, you know, several hundred. And it was amazing. And that opened up other opportunities for me in recruitment with specialist recruitment company um, focused very much on the rail side, um, resourcing solutions. And I had an amazing five years there learning, leading, managing and growing business. It was really, really cool. And if you don't mind me asking, because I know you touched on it earlier, um, I think, yeah, you can sometimes, when you're, I guess when you're on that path to success and things keep going well for you and you're um, getting your head down, you're working really hard to, whether it's building a team, whether it's just promoting, you know, being promoted, sometimes you can lose sight of personal life and the work-life balance really, really tips. Do you mind me asking what was going on kind of personal life back then when you were, you know, getting to this point of kind of really building the foundations for yourself yeah you know i was i'd come out of the air force setting up my first out of air force home with my my long-term partner and you know really trying to build a a life you know with our two 
crazy dogs more can and can be um but not focusing enough on that valuable time at home because yeah. um you know i decided to work late to find that next cnc operator for the company down in burgess hill or find the the people for the 6am shift and you always believe you can so it could be sitting yeah. there at 8 9 10 p.m thinking you're going to find someone and sometimes the universe gives you those people where you know somebody will ring you and go and you're like Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> and, and many times they don't and you go home and feel like a bit of a failure and then realize you've just walked in the door at 9 or 10 p.m um and your dinner's in the dog and and you're in the doghouse yourself so i learned so many lessons in that area on how to create a more healthy balance between work life and home life okay i, I, I did learn them but did i actually lived them no not for many years um but you also don't realize you know what you're doing is you know successful or not and there have been many bumps along the way i've not you know not every day has been a great success and mm. um, you know i've learned the hard way in some areas around you know being a manager being a leader but also being a report to somebody you know how yeah. does that feel when you're reporting in somebody that you know you're not quite sure how that's going to go and you know i'm very forward with yeah. my thoughts and, and have learned that oversharing isn't great um, <laughs> so lots and lots of lessons and and they do trickle into your personal life and they do have an impact um but i think with maturity i've learned to be much more controlled and much more protective over my home life right. um, and give it a real chance to thrive and you know i'm i'm in an amazing loving long-term marriage um because i think i've learned those lessons the hard yeah. way my second marriage okay. um I, I didn't get the first one right um but you know i'm not going to beat myself up over that i have a, a really strong relationship a mutually um, respectful relationship with my my ex and we we raise our 10 year old son together um yeah. and do our level best but i think that all stems from understanding and getting through those barriers of thinking you have to be as a woman in quite a male dominated industry and particularly engineering a rail at the time yeah i think you have to be more and do more and be seen more and travel further and work harder to just keep up um, yeah and you know, that's how it felt at the time that's not a reflection on anyone i was working with that was just life you know yeah in the, the late 90s and early 2000s and with that then, so did you, uh, at this point, did you have kind of strong female leaders within the businesses that you're working in to, to kind of look up to and could see the pathway there? Or is, is, this, is this maybe, a, if, if you didn't, is that a reason why you, you know, you perhaps felt you had to, you know, do more, travel further, shout louder sort of thing to, to be on par? No, I think they came a bit later. Um, okay. I, I do. I do recall uh, amazing um, woman Nicola, um, who you know was a brilliant business developer and sales person, and gave me a real insight into that being part of um, the industry that was an area of real interest to me. 
Yeah. Um, but it came a bit later. Um, and, you know, some of those people that I kind of looked up to and worked um, with are, are now amazing leaders across other organisations, you know, Nikki Turner-Harding at ADECO, for example, Mel Forbes um, as another example, um, Bevert, um, Harvey Nash, for example, you know, these brilliant women who have carved amazing paths who are now much more visible because of social media and because yeah. of the availability of multimedia i think there's much more available as it relates to role models and people to look up to that look like you and you know can yeah. give you a pathway much much more of that is available to young people and anybody in a workplace today than they were available Absolutely. to me but you know it wasn't for the want of looking but i think again you just kind of get stuck in this mode of getting the job done yeah um, and personal development is literally attached to performance yeah um yeah, that's how it was um same for me anyway um but i've been very very lucky um you know i've i've made some good moves um and worked with some phenomenal leaders my last seven years here at kelly have been peppered with amazing and brilliant inspirational women um that and men um and strong leaders that show you so many different ways to communicate be listen learn and give back um, and I think I'm a better person for that, a better person for my time at ADECO, my time at Impelum and my time here at Kelly. Um, I think our, what has got me to being this kind of rounded leader I am today, and I've still got work to do, by the way, um, haven't we all? But it's been uh, a journey and I'm, I'm really proud of my achievements and proud of those around me uh, that I've helped along the way too so yeah. it never stops being a journey fantastic so so continuing on the journey then so you you spoke sort of getting into management and kind of growing teams how did you get from from there to, to where you are today well I think um you know really clearly I I recognized that I wanted to be more a part of the outsourcing world Okay. Uh, more a part of kind of large scale. I saw that organisations were buying in solutions rather than yeah. transactions, um, and I wanted to be a part of that. Um, I, you know, I saw a very early RPO um, coming together and a very early MSP coming together for Metronet BCV back in the day, um, before it became Transport for London and. You know, I was excited by that and I saw it okay. as a great opportunity to be more strategic, to add more value um, and to look at things in a, a different way. So, you know, ADECO was, you know, very early in some of those areas with the managed solutions business, yeah. which, of course, you know, was hyphen as well at the time and is now pontoon. So really forward thinking leaders in that space. Um, that gave me much more insight as I was leading the roving kind of part yeah. of the business. Um, and then op an opportunity, you know, with Impelum, when you look at leaders like Mel um, uh, at, at Impelum at the time, you know, you really see what's possible and you can see yeah. 
innovation and creativity and a, a focus that is very, very customer centered. Um, and I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed moving from a, a candidate centric uh, point to a customer centric point because it gave me the ability to still influence the candidate's experience. Yeah. But think more strategically about talent acquisition strategies, contingent labour strategies, what that looks like, how it can impact an organisation's performance. And I, I, I really enjoyed that. And it, it was, again, you know, some fortuitous um, moves. Um, yeah. And, you know, and indeed some, some smart thinking. You know, I joined Kelly into our staffing organisation, which is fantastic, knowing, you know, that Kelly OCG existed. Yeah. Um, and that's where my passion is. Um, but it, there wasn't a role open for me, and I, I did a great job. Uh, for a year in the staffing side of the business selling right. and, and transitioned at the earliest opportunity to OCG in a pure play sales role, which is in my DNA. Yeah. Um, and then, or became part of my DNA anyway, as part of yeah. recruitment. Um, and then progressed steadily from there over the last seven years. Um, you know, and I think that's about diligent um, delivery of performance. Yeah. Understanding how to work with people in a global organization, investing in your network, um, investing in people around you um, and doing what you say you're going to do. You know, no, that's the, the primary piece. Mate, fantastic. I mean, it sounds like such a journey from, you know, from the from the forces now to, to kind of where you are. It sounds like you had with, with you saying I'm um, joining kind of Kelly services with this in mind and was this always in the kind of forefront of this is definitely where you wanted to to kind of end up um i wouldn't say it was premeditated um because i, I wouldn't want staffing leaders from international no. <laughs> kelly to go well that was a bit underhanded but no, no it wasn't that premeditated yeah um but it became clear um particularly when i was so inspired by the leaders at kelly ocg um, and still am inspired by, you know, both my own leadership. Tammy Browning is a, you know, a sensational leader, uh, but also my peer group. Um, yeah. You know, it's made up some really strong women. Tammy, uh, Tammy has a very, very strong team. Uh, Deborah Timmerman, you know, a fantastic leader with a huge portfolio. Karen Warner Monday is leading our, you know, most strategic customer portfolio through. An incredibly challenging time and um, we then have Nikki Suarez um, leading our um, education business unit again through challenging times so there's some very senior women leading our business yeah. and are being championed and our CEO Peter Quigley is you know very much about equity at work very much about you know balance and parity and fairness and you know that just makes it a brilliant place to turn up to every day yeah no sounds like it um and i guess i guess um not sure about where whereabouts which company you were at whereabouts it was in your career at the time but i wanted to touch base on um you know you mentioned having a son i wanted to touch base it's a i guess something that comes up a lot in the um on on this podcast you know um women in work worrying about um time off especially when you're in such a you know a kind of high position time off when you're um having a child things along those lines what was it like 
for you um, and, and kind of going through that process? So my journey is slightly different um, to the traditional kind mm -hmm. of becoming a mum journey. Yeah. Uh, Edward is uh, an IVF baby. Yeah. Um, my ex-wife carried him. Um, so I, I didn't have that experience. Yes. Um, which makes for a really interesting journey through uh, pregnancy um, and yeah. uh, hospital appointments and, and things like that. Just 10 years ago, things were quite different um, within mm. our kind of healthcare structure on understanding non-normal, if you like, uh, relationships. Mm. And so, you know, I found myself answering the same question, why are you here? I'm, you know, I'm the partner, I'm the other um, yeah. parent. And actually, you know, we had decided not to enter into IVF treatment until the law had changed to allow me to be a legal parent. Right, um, okay. So it was quite a different experience. When Edward was born, I, um, you know, I was treated brilliantly by my ADECO uh, colleagues and HR team who didn't quite know what to do. Um, so they gave me the same time off um, as my male counterparts. Yeah. Um, so I think I had uh, two weeks off. Um, yeah. You know, when Edward was born, it was a challenge. Edward yeah. was a C-section um, birth. Right. Some complications, which meant, you know, really juggling things. But, you know, that's no different to a guy um, yeah. in that scenario. But I can't help feeling um, somewhat different in, you know, that bonding yeah. piece, which as the non-biological parent in my scenario kind of felt more difficult, you know, not difficult, but more important. So it was a really interesting journey um, and I think, you know, that juggle was real. I think I probably didn't do the best job possible um, and, you know, maybe that's a reflection on the fact that I'm now on my second marriage, yeah. <laughs> um, which I shouldn't laugh about because it's not funny, but I, you know, you have to take accountability for, you know, what you do in life. Um, but it was hard um, and I think also because you're not the birth mother there is an expectation you know that there is someone else at home so you mm -hmm. can just get on with it and um, and not all of the people I've worked with in all of the companies I've worked with have been sensational leaders um, with open attitudes and that has been difficult at times and um, particularly being a parent um, and particularly being away uh, quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but again, I, I think, you know, gosh, aren't I also quite lucky that I'm doing this in a time where I can still communicate with my son. You know, we yeah. FaceTime every day, for yeah. example. If I'm not with him, we FaceTime. Mm. Um, so I always see his face and he always sees mine. And it's a really good bridge. It's yeah. not, as we all now know, it's not a substitute for that person-to-person -person yes. engagement yeah. um, and there is nothing that beats that kind of weight of a child giving you a hug you know it's a unique experience that cannot be met by a screen yeah um, so I won't say I've got it right I'm certainly no super mum I'm sure Edward might tell you differently um, <laughs> he's a, an incredibly uh, giving young young chap um, but it has been difficult getting that juggle right and yeah. you know even things like school holidays you know yeah. his other works um you know and trying to find that balance of ensuring that we all 
get time off to support summer holidays and Easter yeah. holidays. And, you know, it's hard. It's a lot, it's, isn't you know, it? I know. Holiday yeah. Available. Yeah, it's a lot, you know. Um, obviously, I, I don't, I don't have children myself, but um, I know the the kind of people that I work with that do have children. It is always a, there's not enough kind of annual leave to cover the amount of weeks holidays kids have. <laughs> is there? There's no, no way near enough juggling. I, you know, I also remind myself, um, Brogan, that the UK and other European countries have an amazing deal as it relates to parental time off um, and holidays. You know, if you look at the US as an example, it's a very different yeah. situation. You know, a typical um, 15 days annual leave per year um, and women are coming back to work really quickly after having babies. So we are, we are, you know, fortuitous again, you know, Definitely. being where we are in the country, we are in the, um, the legislation that supports um, mums, uh, paid time off, maternity leave, and, and so on and so on. It's just a case of making choices to balance it right. And I think when you are when you are focused on delivery and customer satisfaction and doing the best you can do in sometimes really high pressure environments, that can be very very difficult. Hard, yeah. But you do, do have these moments, right, where you have a kind of a, a come to Jesus moment, for want of a better term. And I remember one for me, you know, Edward was only a couple of weeks old. I'd gone back to work. I was on site in Wolverhampton and a, an HR director was, you know, really going at me about whether we were charging actual NI or and you know, um, you know, whatever the correct term is, I can't remember now. And we'd had this conversation for weeks and weeks and weeks, and, and in the end, I I just said to him, I'm I'm really sorry, but just two weeks ago, I watched my wife being cut open mm. with you know a really complicated C-section and my baby being born, and I'm I just can't see this being an important conversation yeah. because. We've talked about it for six weeks. I've shown you the calculation. It's true. We're not trying to, you know, mess yes. around with you, at, but you just won't let it go. I'm sorry, but I've got nothing else to say on the matter. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know whether I was just really tired and not getting any sleep, but, you know, I did it and it was a bit of a shock for the room. Um, and then I went home. Yeah. <laughs> don't blame you um, fantastic so and and your journey so so now was I mean with your position now are you finding um because I know a lot of people that I speak to you know I'm kind of successful females within the industry that have young children often say it's a shame because the industry kind of works backwards when it comes to flexibility I think you know you can potentially have more flexibility the more senior you are um but actually you tend to kind of need the flexibility when you're not not quite there yet and you're having you know your children are slightly younger and you need that more time are you finding um you know the balance is switching or how are you finding things now you've you know you've kind of worked your way up um up and up the ladder sort of thing 
That's a really interesting viewpoint. And actually, I hadn't thought about it like that. I can only really speak to where I'm at now and yeah. the flexibility we're affording to our employees. Mm. You know, we recognise the need to be a present parent, not absent. Um, yeah. So we're, we're trying to be as flexible as flexible as we possibly can. And in fact, a very, very high proportion of our workforce has flexible work arrangements where they can work from home. We encourage um, people to be able, whether you're male or female, actually, to pick up the kids um, yeah. from school and drop them off and, you know, show that level of flexibility. I think, you know, on reflection of what you've just said, absolutely, it makes total sense. When you're early in your career, there's this very clear view of presenteeism and putting it yeah. all out there and going above and beyond and pushing and pushing and pushing. But the further you move through an organisation or your career, you know, you do get afforded more flexibility, perhaps because you're making those choices yourself. Um, but I would encourage women that find themselves in that position to find ways to balance and, and have the conversation. Because I think there are very few women in leadership uh, positions um, that would say no. And I yeah. think in this market, in this climate, there are very few managers, if they want to progress, male managers, that wouldn't give a request for flexibility much more consideration than perhaps they might have in the past. Yeah, I mean, the, the pandemic's definitely changed. Um, you know, people have been working from home and doing a successful job. Um, it, it's hard to kind of turn that down now. You know, you've proven you can, we've proven as an industry, we can do this um, with that kind of, well, that wasn't the, wasn't our choice. And it we, we, we didn't choose to have that long period of, you know, working from home, but we have, I think as an industry, we have proven that we can we can be more flexible. We can um, we don't have to stick to the the kind of strict hours. We don't have to be constantly in the office. Um, I think people's I think it's all it's all personal preference, isn't it? I know um, I I personally um, call, I have fear over going into another lockdown. I I decided I think like I mentioned at the the beginning of um, this I never saw myself was actually in an office job in recruitment mm -hmm. you know I'm always talking to different people I'm always you find me pacing up and down the office I'll be dancing to music one second on the phone the next sort of thing and um I don't see myself in a I'm stuck to my desk and in this boring office job but mm -hmm. personally for me when I was actually working from home I realized I really missed the kind of culture around me and the buzz of the sales floor and hearing all the noise and um so for me I'd uh, if I had the choice to work from home, I wouldn't take it. But I know there's a lot of people out there that have really enjoyed that kind of flexibility. So I don't think we can. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be very difficult for people to say, no, you can't have that flexibility after proving you can do your job and and be flexible. You know, it's not just about, um, you know, where you work. Um, it's yeah. how you get work done. Um, yeah. And it's funny, you know, recruitment industry has been very much about being in a, in a building, in a room, you know, with a bunch of other people that all look the same, because um, diversity is not a strong point um, in yeah. recruitment, look the same, sound the same, ring a bell every you know, hour or two, whoop it up, go down the pub, um, you know, and, and do it all again the next day. 
And yeah, that was my that was my journey. That's what I experienced. The truth is, is the best time to get candidates to talk to you. Yeah, is at their convenience, and it's not always nine to five. Yeah, um, you know, in many cases, how many times you've had? Look, you've called me at work. It's not convenient. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, if the industry adopted a much more flexible approach to how people are getting the job done, yeah. You now, I know that at times the best time for me to source new candidates was between six and eight at night. Yeah. Um, book a call, have a great conversation, qualify them. Know, tie them into being you know working with me exclusively yeah. all of that good stuff um, and then the next day I would go in to the office and I would market them you know because that's what yeah. we did in those days um, and it was great but you know if you're hammering the phones trying to speak to candidates at that time yeah. at 10 in the morning they don't want to talk to you they're in a meeting no, or no, yeah, so it's it's a it's a bit a bit backward in that yeah. regard I and mean, there's much more to be done but i think people are listening and hearing yeah i think it's not just about being in an office i've i think anybody that is in their early career you know between 24 and 35 for example you know wants to be in a buzzy thriving environment where you can see people around you and learn from other people and hear mm different ways of working and yeah. pick up pick up those tips mm. you know i've learned from all of those people around me and had i been working from home all of my career there's no way i would be who i am today no, yeah. no way so there's a benefit to both i think hybrid is clearly the way to go where yeah. people mix it up mm -hmm. but also i think it's about abolishing this sense that work is from nine to five it's, it's not and nor should it be and nor does it need to be unless there is an industry requirement for that to be the case yeah yeah but that's not the case for us no no i uh, i completely agree i know you said you found that was the best time to i mean that's probably when i you know i speak to people it's after work isn't it it's um so yeah no i completely agree with you there um fantastic so i guess to to kind of wrap up, I'd love to hear, um, I always do at the end of a podcast to um, to see if you have any kind of top tips that you could give to kind of females wanting to be successful in the industry. Um, so I'd love to hear that. But I would also like to ask, because um, I know it's a big thing that you, you kind of touched base on um, earlier on, is that, that kind of healthy work-life, personal life balance. And I know you said you learned quite a few things that you weren't kind of I guess you weren't acting on to begin with, but you've you've kind of got better. Um, any any tips that you've got, but also any tips on that side of things, because I think that is, and particularly whilst you know the pandemic has been, work and home became a, a big blur. I think um, it certainly did for me. And any tips that you have got on that side of things as well would be be kind of great. I know that's what people would love to love to kind of hear. Yeah, well, the first one is is don't create an environment or a perception that you are always on, because that then becomes the expectation. Uh, yeah. If people think they can get a response from you, they'll ask yeah. the question and expect it to come. And, and once you begin that path and the advent of the BlackBerry was the start of the problem for me. 
Okay. That little little flashing light of red. You won't know about this. You're too young. No, I uh, I did have a I I I had a blackberry, and yet I know exactly what you mean. The um, red flashing light just (laughs) pulled you, and you just couldn't help but look at it. And then you'd be there, you know, tapping away with both your thumbs on that funny keyboard, responding. You know, by doing that, it sets an expectation, and then people think it's okay, and you've then totally eradicated that barrier. Um, I've had to work over the last five or so years to reinstate that barrier and become less responsive out of working hours and also put things on my my signature, for example. I live and work in London. Um, you know, please don't respond to this email outside of your working hours. Yeah. Acknowledging that I live in and work in a global environment and often I'm traveling and could be in the US emailing my EMEA colleagues in Germany or or wherever, or could be in Asia Pac um, dealing with India that is on a different time zone to Singapore, which is on a different time zone to Australia. So trying to coordinate people in for one conversation means you're putting somebody out. And if you're always saying, yes, not a problem, it creates a problem for you. Yeah. So my advice would be put some healthy boundaries in place that allow you to understand priorities or needs and adhere to them. The business will then understand, you know, you won't pick things up after 7 p.m. or 5 p.m. or whatever time it is. And ask, you know, if you're a, a working mum, Consider a four-day week. You know, yeah. give yourself an opportunity to, um, you know, create the balance. So, ask those challenging questions, and you don't know what the answer will be until you ask. Yeah. And if you yeah. Feel that hmm? I was going to say absolutely. We don't get um, you, you don't get if you don't ask, do you? And I think sometimes we build up. Do you think sometimes the fear is more with ourselves? And like with you saying, you know, mm. answering things out of hours. Um, I personally went through a, a kind of stage of of that a lot and I think actually nobody would mind if I didn't answer until the morning it was more of a personal thing um, so yeah absolutely if you don't ask I think you build this fear up of oh, I'm not going to be able to um, so yeah. I think it kind of follows some of those kind of addiction qualities of yeah. needing to do it right yeah. needing you know aren't I valuable aren't I you know, I'm on it, I'm on it, I'm on it. Um, and, and that becomes unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, put those boundaries in place to prevent that becoming an unhealthy cycle. And yeah. then, you know, find ways to ask in a really business um, related way. You know, what would the benefits be to the business if I could do this? Um, you know, there were some clear benefits to me, but you know, I think I could add more value to the business if I compressed my hours, for example, and, and took took Fridays off. Could we trial that for a period of time, yeah. you know, so that I can put some more focus into my kids and pick them up on a Friday mm-hmm. and our weekend begin earlier? That would make a massive difference to our family. And, you know, I think people just have to be mindful that presenting a question is their right. And yeah. Just think about how you're going to put that question and what the features and benefits are for all parties involved. So it's not just a me ask. It's a, I think 
I can do this. I don't think there'd be a detrimental impact to the business. And in fact, me being able to do this on a weekly basis would mean I feel much freer and much more relaxed and more creative at work. Yeah. So you're going to get more out of me. Da, 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 da. So yeah. I think it's um, about communicating your wants in a smart way. Makes sense. Great stuff. Um, any other kind of tips that I, I know I, I kind of threw that one at you asking for the kind of healthy balance tips, but any other tips in general on, um, you know, becoming successful in, in the recruitment industry? I think you've got to stay true to yourself. Um, you know, I'm thrilled that we're living in a world now where people can be, be their whole selves and be accepted yeah. more. Um, it took me a long time to be myself. Um, yeah. I'm, you know, within the LGBTQ um, plus uh, community, it took me a very long time to kind of be myself at work. Um, and I think that held me back. Um, okay. So be yourself, um, but also kind of give yourself permission to question things and take a step back at times and you know the one thing I say to all of my team um, on their one-on-ones is slow down slow down and you'll speed up you do not need to make immediate um, impulsive decisions about things um, but nor do you need to know a hundred percent about something to make a decision so you have these people that are the, the procrastinators that will wait for 100% of the information before they make yeah. a decision, that that can be detrimental. But then yeah. folks that make decisions way too quickly and, you know, their emotional reactions rather mm -hmm. than considered, you know, find a happy balance, um, but be confident. And if you make a decision, stand by it. And if it didn't work and it's a failure, say that didn't work, we're going to try something different and embrace things not working um they're just lessons every time fantastic well listen thank you so much sam really appreciate being on the podcast today um loved hearing about your journey um i'm sure the listeners will too so thank you again um for, for agreeing to be a guest on the show um and to all the listeners please like um subscribe and share the episode with anyone that you think will and um, benefit from hearing sam's journey and i'll be back on the next episode of who runs the rec world Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.